Hey everybody, welcome to Mountain View College. Uh, we are so excited you're here. Um, I think what Adam and Savannah said earlier was right. Like, this is just a regular Mountain View night. We're not trying to be anybody we're not. Uh, we're just trying to show you who we are and show you what Jesus has done in our lives. And we just want to invite you into that. Um, so because of that, we have some announcements, we sing some worship songs, and we always look at the Bible and learn from what God has for us. So with that, we're going to be in Mark 2 tonight. If you brought Bibles, if you've got apps, Mark 2. Otherwise, uh, everything will be right up here on the stage. I'm going to start with a question, all right? What is the biggest problem in your life? What is that, like, big, debilitating, dream-crushing, life-altering problem in your life? I bet it probably is similar to a lot of what you just heard from the seniors and the juniors up here. Uh, after conversation after conversation with students, a lot of it kind of boils down to I hear anxiety a lot or social anxiety that keeps me from friendships and keeps me from growth. Or it's depression and it keeps me in my room and it keeps me from pursuing the things that I want. Or maybe it's, um, I don't know, not feeling seen or treasured or desired by anybody. Or maybe it's a particular addiction or just habitual habit that you can't seem to break. What is that problem for you? I was thinking about that uh, when I was 18 and I started at college. Uh, I am a CSU Ram. I graduated from here a couple of years ago. But before that, I was a Montana State University Bobcat. Not as cool, I know. So I think I actually have a picture of 18-year-old Micah. Yeah. yeah. Mm. One of the few appropriate pictures from 18-year-old uh, freshman year, let me tell you that. That's me on the left. That's my friend Billy. He's going to show up later in the story, too. Uh, and I had a lot of problems at 18, all right? Um, let me paint the picture here. I registered for college, I think, in May or maybe June of my senior year. Uh, and I went to my counselor's office, and she told me the one school that was still taking applications was Montana State. So that's where I went. Uh, and I didn't have anybody to drive me, and I didn't have a car. So when August rolled around, I got in a Greyhound uh, and took a bus to Montana State. Got there at like 4 a.m., uh, dragged my bags and my guitar to my dorm. Uh, and the thing was, it was like 5 a.m., and the dorm didn't open till 9. Uh, so I was banging on the door, and like the RA opened it and wouldn't let me in. Uh, so August, 5 a.m., I tied a rope around me and my bags and my guitar and this tree and just slept outside the dorm until somebody would let me in. Now, I spent way too long today trying to find a picture of that dorm, uh, and I want to give you like a little piece of this, all right? So I lived in Langford Hall briefly for like two weeks. This was the all-male study dorm, which is not where I belonged. Uh, <laughs> but when you sign up in June, you get what you get, and that's what I got. And unfortunately, they like remodeled this. There used to be like a big tree, like right here on the right. And that's where I tied myself and slept my first night of college. Uh, until like nine o'clock, the dean of students walked by and saw me like sleeping there tied to a tree with all of these like parents and their 18 year olds walking by. He was horrified, uh, yelled at some people inside, got me some coffee. It was really, really nice to me. Um, but that wasn't my biggest problem. That was just a problem. Uh, soon after that, uh, I started registering for classes and I don't think I talked to a counselor 
And I don't know if you're required to talk to counselors when you're 18. I don't think I did. So I wound up in all these 300-level biology classes after taking no prereqs. And so I just had another giant problem where I had no idea what was going on in any of my classes. Uh, still, not my biggest problem, but you're kind of getting the picture of who I was, right? <laughs> the number one biggest debilitating problem in my life back then was drinking. And it's almost hard to like explain that because I'm not sure like you'll get or you'll understand how big of a deal that was in my life. But middle school was a mess, high school was a mess, and the way that I coped was drinking. At that point in my life, um, I never thought I was going to be over drinking. My brothers were alcoholics, family members were alcoholics. This was just like the story of my family and everybody I knew. And if you had asked me like, hey, what is the number one problem in your life? I would have said drinking. And in fact, when I went to Montana State, I got on the Greyhound and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna be a different person from now on. I'm gonna go to College of Montana State, I'm gonna be a doctor, and I'm just not gonna drink anymore. And if any of you have like tried to fix a problem, like a debilitating problem, you might understand like how well that went. Uh, I lasted one semester at Montana State, uh, left with a 1.8 GPA and just a totally burned life. And here's the thing, like I would have said that drinking was my number one problem, but the problem that I thought I had wasn't the real problem I had. There was a root, there was a cause, there was a deeper issue to the problem that I thought was the worst thing in my life. And that's what we're looking at in the Bible today. The problem I thought I had wasn't the problem I really had. So with that, we're going to be in Mark 2. Let's start in verse 1. Mark 2. All right, it says this. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days... It was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So let me explain. Let me catch you up. Uh, if you don't know, Jesus is the centerpiece of the Bible. He's the centerpiece of the entire universe. Every story revolves around Jesus as the Son of God coming to earth to pay the price for sin and redeem and save an entire people. And we were just singing about him, right? We're singing, worthy are you of your name. And the names of Jesus, he's called the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and the beginning and the end. All of our lives revolve around this man, Jesus Christ. And at this point in his life, he's 30 years old and he's wandering from town to town and he's performing miracles. He's healing people that never thought they would be healed. He's fixing problems that nobody thought would ever be fixed. And he's preaching. He's preaching the gospel, the good news that God wants a relationship with every single one of us, that God offers relationship and eternal life, eternal paradise to everybody who enters into relationship with him. Now, you could probably imagine if you are healing people that never thought they'd be healed, if you are performing miracles and you're preaching about this eternal paradise with a God who loves you, that's pretty attractive, right? everybody's going to be drawn to that guy. And that's what's happened here. Everywhere he goes, he's drawn this crowd to the point where if he's preaching in this home, nobody can even get inside the home. And that's where our story picks up. Verse, uh, verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And they went, when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, I want you to imagine this, all right? First, just imagine being in this crowd. You have this man, Jesus, who is preaching like maybe the most attractive thing you've ever heard. The kingdom of God, this God who loves you and desires a relationship with you and offers eternal life. And maybe you don't know what all that means, maybe you don't understand it, but he's healing people and he's casting out demons and he's loving people that nobody else seems to love. And now imagine you're this paralytic. Or maybe even better, imagine that you're like one of this paralytic's friends. Because these four guys are maybe my favorite people in this story. Small side note, but get yourself some friends like these, all right? Get yourself some friends that will carry you to Jesus. Because I can just like imagine this scene. Like this paralytic guy and his four friends sitting in this house and they said, we got a plan. We are going to get you to Jesus. And so they pick this guy up and they carry him across the street and they see this big crowd and they're like... That's not going to stop us. So somehow they figure out like how to get this guy up on a roof, and then they destroy this guy's roof. Like there's no sunroof, like it's first century AD. They haven't created those yet. So they dig through this guy's roof and somehow learn to like lower this guy to the ground, to Jesus' feet. And can you imagine this? Like I just imagine standing there being like, Oh, here it comes. Like, Jesus saw our friend. He's about to heal this guy. Here comes a miracle. And then Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Ah, oh, who said anything about sin, Jesus? We came here for a miracle. We came in to see our friend walk. Why are we talking about sin? So I want you to think about that question. Think about that question, what's the biggest life-altering, debilitating problem in your life? If you were to get in front of the miracle worker, if you were to get in front of Jesus, the guy who can heal anything, what would you say? What would you ask for? Because at 18, I guarantee I would have said, Jesus, take away my drinking problem. Hands down, biggest problem in my life. That's what I want, Jesus. Take away my drinking problem. What about you? Is it social anxiety? Jesus, take away my social anxiety. Take away what keeps me from making friends and being a part of things. Take away my depression that keeps me living in this like copy of a copy of a copy of a life where I can't see things clearly and I can't see the world as it is. Jesus, take away my self-esteem issues or my self-confidence issues. Make me feel worth something. Make me feel seen. Make me feel like I accomplished something or that I'm worth something. What would you ask him? Now, I'm not going to, for a moment, dismiss the problems and anxieties and the pains of your life. All that's a part of you, that's part of your story, and your story matters. But the problem you have isn't the problem you think you have. Jesus sees deeper than surface-level problems. He understands us to the very core of who we are, and Jesus always goes to the heart of the issue, to sin. Now, maybe you didn't grow up in a church, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family, and sin's one of those like uniquely church and Bible words. So let me explain that, all right? The definition of sin is lawlessness. That's how the book of 1 John in the Bible describes it. Sin is lawlessness. It's disregard, disobedience, and rebellion 
to the laws and the commands and the desires of God. And sin, this rebellion against God, is the root of all of our problems. It's the root of all of the brokenness and the evil in the world, and it's serious. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the eternal consequences of sin, the eternal suffering of a life without God and a life lived in sin. And we got to start there, because if you don't believe in sin, the world makes no sense. You cannot find an answer to the way the world is and why people are broken if you don't start here, if you don't start that sin as the root of all the problems in the world. You know, I finished up a degree at CSU in psychology, and I liked it kind of, but I always had one major frustration. I talked to a lot of smart people, and I talked to a lot of professors. I read a lot of books, and I studied, and no one could ever give me the reason why the world was broken and why people are broken inside. All psychology can do, all counselors and psychologists and people can do is analyze the problems in your life if they don't regard and believe in the root problem of sin. And you can study politics and social constructs and biases and prejudices, and you can study relational dynamics between individual people or groups of people, and nobody's ever going to give you an answer for why things are the way they are if you don't start with sin. If you don't believe in sin, all you can do is try and manage and fix the symptoms of sin, the brokenness that you feel. Here's an example. Uh, When I was 20, uh, I got a staph infection, all right? And if you don't know what a staph infection is, it's like this weird bacterial disease. I should really talk to some medical people. You get it from like rolling around on mats if you're a wrestler, like sharing a towel with somebody. It's this like disgusting looking bacterial infection, and I got it on my face, just kind of crawling all around this area, all right? I had no idea what it was, but I knew it was horrible, all right? And I didn't know I needed to go see a doctor, and I just tried to, like, fix it myself, all right? I thought it was, like, really bad acne. So at first, I was, like, scratching at it like you do. That didn't do anything. And then I just, like, left it there, so it was just this, like, horribleness that was growing on my face. Tried to cover it up, and that didn't work. And without knowing what it was, this problem just stuck around. There was no fixing it. And then finally, I got this boss, and he saw me, and he was like, what is wrong with your face? And I was like, nothing. It's fine. It's acne. And he was like, that's not acne. He was like, go to the doctor. And I was like, I don't want it. Go to the doctor. And I went, learned it was staph infection, got whatever medical medicine I needed, and it got treated. (laughs) But here's the thing, all right? I couldn't do anything until I knew what the problem was. And even then, I couldn't do anything to fix myself. I had to go to some outside source and be healed from somebody else. And the same is true of our sin. We can ignore it. We can downplay it. We can try and fix it ourselves. But we can't do anything to fix sin. It's this deep-rooted disease that's a part of all of us. It's the biggest problem in our life. And so now, when we get back to our story, here's Jesus who looks at this man who came here for a miracle, who came here hoping to walk. The biggest problem in his life, he brings it to Jesus, and Jesus looks at this paralyzed man, and he doesn't address paralysis. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. So think about this statement. First he says, son. 
He looks at this man who's probably an outsider, probably feels like a burden on his family and his tribe and his village and his community. And Jesus looks at this guy and has affection for him. Jesus calls him son. He cares for him probably when nobody else does except these four homies of his. And he forgives this man of sin. Sin against God, a lawlessness and disobedience and dismissiveness of God. And that's quite the claim. A man, Jesus, saying, I have the power to forgive your rebellion against God. Jesus saying he can forgive sin is Jesus saying, I am God. Let me show you that. Let's finish the story. Verse 6. Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, and the scribes were the religious lawyers of the day. The scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The scribes here, the religious lawyers, immediately hit on something. They immediately understand that Jesus is claiming to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That is a great question. And the answer is no one. Only God forgives sins, which means Jesus must be claiming to be God. And that's so important to know and believe. Because Jesus lived and died 2,000 years ago, and he wasn't just a man who lived and died. He wasn't just a good prophet or a good teacher or an example of like how to morally live a good life. Jesus claimed himself to be God. Now, here's what happens next. Jesus follows up the scribe's question with another question. He loves to do this. He does this all the time. And he says this, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise, pick up your mat and walk? Honestly, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because I can say that. I can look at you and say, hey, Yeah, your sins against God, your rebellion, your indifference, your dismissiveness of who he is and what he has for you, not a big deal. You're forgiven. But I can't prove it. Only God forgives sins and only God can prove that your sins are forgiven, which is exactly what Jesus did. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man, just a title for Jesus, but you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. Here is Christianity. Here's the heart of everything that we believe here at Mountain View, everything that every Christian who has ever lived believes. Jesus can forgive sin because he has paid for sin. And here at Mountain View, we believe that Jesus can forgive sin because he paid for sin. 
We believe he's God. We believe he's a man that walked on earth and he miraculously healed people. And we believe he is the son of God that died on a cross and paid the price for sin, soaked up all of the wrath and anger of God directed towards you and me and every other sinful man and woman on earth. And to prove that sin was forgiven, he rose from the dead three days later and just proclaimed his power over sin and death and his victory over the entire world. And we at Mount View believe that everybody is offered forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus, saved for eternity. And not only that, we believe that God deeply cares for you. Jesus deeply cares for you. Jesus looked at this paralytic, this outcast of society, and he calls him son. And he looks at every single one of you and desires to call you son or daughter. God offers salvation, he offers eternal life, and he offers adoption as sons and daughters and forgiveness of sin through faith. Look back at verse five, all right? Chapter two, verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Being a son or daughter of God requires one thing, faith in Jesus. Belief that you have sinned, belief that you have disobeyed God and the price of that disobedience was Jesus dying on a cross and belief that Jesus paid for your sin by his resurrection from the dead, proving that you, through faith, are a son or daughter for eternity. Jesus is our risen and resurrected Savior who still lives, still reigns, still saves, and still heals. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that big, debilitating, life-altering problem of yours and consider the biggest problem in your life might not be the problem you think you have. Anxiety, depression, a secret addiction that nobody knows about, pain from your past, feeling like life has no meaning, that you have no purpose, that you're not seen, that you're not cared for. All those are problems of a greater disease. The broken things in your life, the problems and the pains and the hang-ups, all of that is pointing you to the root of the problem, to sin. And if you don't believe that the root of your problems is sin, the number one problem in your life is brokenness between you and God because of your rebellion and disobedience of him, the best you'll ever be able to do is manage the problems in your life. I went through a lot of 12-step programs in my life, and I love them. 12 steps save lives. But here's the thing. If you don't believe that the root problem is sin, the best thing you can do is manage the problems in your life. You can be disciplined. You can self-controlled. You can keep things at bay. But without acknowledgement of sin, there's no freedom. Jesus offers freedom. He offers forgiveness for the biggest problem in your life. And he can supernaturally heal the things in your life that you never thought would be healed. God is good, man, and he's powerful, and he's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And just like he healed this paralytic, he can heal the deepest shames and guilts and problems and pains in your life. 
Like when I was your age, I thought there would never be a time in my life when I wasn't an alcoholic. Never would have dreamed of the freedom that came through Christ. And alcohol ruined my high school experience. It ruined my first college experience. I lost three jobs the summer after college. Joined the army after that, and it was in that time that I started reading a Bible. I started talking to Christians, and I realized the problem of my life was sin. The problem of my life was no relationship with Christ. And when I came to faith, change didn't happen overnight, but God has healed the deepest parts of me that I never thought would be healed. And not only is alcohol maybe one of the least problems in my life right now, but God has given me purpose and ambition when I didn't have any of that. He's taken away anxiety and sadness and depression in a way that just gives me joyfulness in the day. And peace and joy and healing is offered to you. Jesus still heals. He still saves. And that's not just me. I mean, that's the story of the four people you heard up here. That's the story of dozens and dozens of people sitting here right now. The story of uh, the Christians in our church, in our city, and everybody who has given their life and given their faith in Christ in the whole history of the world. And all we want to do at Mountain View is invite you into that. We want to help you meet Jesus if you don't know who he is. We want to help teach and understand and give you the knowledge of who he is so that you might meet him. And we want to stand back and watch Jesus change your life just like he changed mine and just like he changed so many others here. Not only is Jesus capable of healing you, he's capable of forgiving you and giving you eternal life. Believe that. That's all it takes. Faith. Believe that Jesus forgives sins and he heals wounds and he's the crucified and resurrected king who reigns today and offers hope and healing in this life and eternity with him in the next. And I can't promise that God is going to heal every hurt and problem in your life. But here's what I can promise. God sees you and he hears you and he cares about you and he still saves And he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you so that everyone who believes in Jesus will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And when you believe, I promise that he will change your life just like he changed mine. Let's pray. Jesus, we just acknowledge you as Savior and Redeemer, as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and that you, Jesus, are worthy of your name. You're worthy of our praise and our worship and our attention. And Father, I just ask that you give us consideration of our life. Would you help us see more clearly and more deeply the problems in our life, and that the hurts and the hang-ups and the habits that keep us from seeing you clearly, Jesus, would you give us eyes to understand that Our true problem is sin and that you, Jesus, have conquered sin. You've conquered death and that you offer healing and hope. And Jesus, we just trust you as as our living hope, as that song says, as the one who sees us and cares for us, who reaches out to every single one of us who believes and says, son, says, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus, we just ask for healing tonight, healing and understanding that you are better than the hurts in our lives. You're better than the idols in the life. And uh, we just trust you, Jesus, the one who heals and are expectant of that. Expectant of that tonight and this week and this semester and this year that you are working in and amongst your people and on this canvas to heal and save.
We trust you with that, Jesus. We love you. All this in your name. Amen.